Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast featuring your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter. We're rolling right into today to some cyclone football with that amazing uh, 17 point deficit comeback by Iowa State uh, against the Iowa State K State game this weekend. Talk about it, Mike. Give it to me. I, I just we had a comeback against the game. The comeback wasn't against K State. It, no, it was against, against the game. It was against the game. It was against the game. The, the game was winning, and then and then we won. It was. The so game the, was the, rigged. Oh, okay. It was just a really bad game, so we had to come back against the game. Exactly. Oh, okay. Exactly. If 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 the you odds say were so. against us. But yeah, like Wyatt said, uh, we did come back from a seventeen point fourth quarter deficit against K State. It is the biggest uh, fourth quarter comeback. Uh, tied for the biggest fourth quarter comeback in Iowa State history that we had with that win. Also marks our first win against K-State in the last 10 years to uh, take the Farmageddon rivalry. Really, uh, it was a back-and-forth game for about the first 28 minutes or so, and then uh, the game all turned, uh, at least for me, it seemed to turn late in the uh, second quarter when Iowa State fumbled uh, a punt when they're about to get the ball back to try to make a drive late in the second quarter, fumbled a punt, which ended up turning into a uh, into a K State touchdown there at the end of the uh, first half. That really uh, changed the momentum of the game, as far as I'm concerned. Put the Cyclones in a hole, and then Purdy had a couple of turnovers in the third quarter that really really uh, gave, allowed K State to jump out to the big 17 point advantage that they did. But then the momentum changed again in the, the fourth quarter. Iowa State started the quarter with a nice uh, nice touchdown drive to uh, bring the deficit from 15 to 10, or from 17 to 10, sorry. And then from there, uh, a great defensive play. Mike Rose with the uh, first touchdown off a of fumble for Iowa State since 2014 what is what really turned the game around. After that point, Iowa State had all the momentum for the remainder of the game was able to score one more touchdown to uh, eke out the uh, four-point victory, first win in 10 years against K-State, like I said. I was, uh, I was, I got mixed reactions to Purdy. I thought this was Purdy's, uh, Purdy's best game that he played, or he had moments where it was, he was better than I'd ever seen. He was pretty good throwing the deep ball, uh, made a couple ones to uh, Milton and Eaton and Butler, had some good uh, deep ball throws, but he was also under-throwing a lot of deep balls, and that resulted in some of those interceptions that you saw from him. I think his uh, he still has some room to go. His decision-making could still get a little bit better, and I think he could uh, use a summer in the weight room, get that arm strength up a little bit more so he's not under-throwing those deep balls quite as much. But overall, I think Purdy played a really good game despite the interceptions. And it was really big of him to, to uh, be able to recover from those interceptions and still be able to lead those touchdown drives in the fourth quarter. A lot of quarterbacks would collapse after the interceptions, but Purdy didn't do that, which was really big. The big One of the things that I will mention, though, not both of those interceptions weren't his fault. One of them was his fault. It was a poorly underthrown ball, and I believe there was miscommunication between him and his wideout. Um, either his wideout slipped on the play, but the corner, the defensive back was right there to intercept it. But on the other one, the defensive back made an incredible play on the ball. And in Matt Campbell's post game, uh, in his uh, press conference after the game, he made a statement saying that only one of the interceptions was Brock Par- Brock Purdy's fault. The other one was the receiver's fault. He should have made a better play on the ball and caught that ball. 
rather than tipping it up in the air and letting the defensive back have a chance to get to it. But yeah, at the end of the for, at the end of the um, first half, I believe Brock Purdy was ten of twelve, so he only missed two passes, and two of them were deep balls. One of them, which all of us believe there should have been a pass interference call on the play where Hakeem Butler only had one hand to try and catch the ball as the other one was basically tied behind his back by the defensive back, but that wasn't called. And then another one was a a well-underthrown ball to Hakeem Butler deep. He tried to come back and make a play on it, but the defensive back hit him and jarred the ball loose. But I thought thought Brock Purdy showed really good flashes. I thought he showed a lot of youthful mistakes. Um, And I think the upcoming bowl game experience for him will be big uh, to lead the team for at least two more years in the future. Um, And yeah, another thing that came up that we haven't seen in a while was a special teams blunder. Obviously we had that fumble at the end of the first half where uh, Tariq Milton caught the ball and ran forward and fumbled it. Uh, as he was hit by two defenders, and it set K-State up for their uh, go-ahead touchdown to go into halftime up by 7, 21-14 at that point. And that was a pretty big momentum shift because previous to that, Iowa State looked like we had a touchdown to go up 21-14, to and there was a pass interference call, which backed us up. We didn't have a good play on the next play, and we missed a field goal wide left that was a pretty ugly, ugly kick by a Sally. But we were able to hold on defense. We got the ball back, and then we turn around and cough it right back up, and it allowed K-State to go up by seven, which gave them a lot of momentum going into halftime, which led to their 17-point um, lead later on in the game. But I am, I am sure that Coach Campbell is going to go over all of our special teams blunders um, as we kind of have a tune-up game before the bowl game next week as we take on Drake at 11 o'clock in Jack Trice Stadium. Uh, I believe that is a game in which we will see most of our second and third string players play the entirety of the game as I don't believe it would be close, uh, which we're all hoping it probably isn't. Otherwise, we're doing something wrong. And... Yeah, it'll be a it'll be a tune-up game for the team before we need to start preparing for the bowl game wherever we go. Hopefully, someplace a little bit warmer. Yeah. So, uh, speaking of the bowl games, I uh, on here which uh, all of you have to think, and or both of you have to think, and then I'll give my opinion. What bowl game with the Iowa State season essentially done? Since Drake is a, a non-scholarship football program, this game against Drake doesn't really actually count for anything as far as that's concerned. So um, what do you guys think about where Iowa State will go for their ball game based on based on where we've finished here as far as our third place finish in the Big 12 standings goes? I've been saying since the beginning of the season um, that we're going to the Camping World Bowl. We're going to Florida. We're going to go to Disney World. Um, by we, I mean the band's going to Disney World because we're going to go to the Camping World Bowl in Orlando. You still stand by that, even though now we have a third place finish in the Big 12 instead I, of fourth or fifth? Yeah, I do stand by it. I think it's going to happen because I want it to happen, and I'm very selfish. That's not entirely true. 
I need to see what happens during championship week next weekend. My early prediction is that the Cyclones would go to the Camping World Bowl in Orlando, but there is a very realistic possibility that Cyclones will be playing in San Antonio in the Alamo Bowl, depending on what happens above us. Now, since Michigan lost to Ohio State this past weekend in rivalry week, uh, that leaves a door open for one of the first two out in Georgia and Oklahoma to slide into the top four. And with both of them playing tough opponents next week during championship week, that potentially leaves the door open for Oklahoma still to make it into the top four, which means Texas could play in a New Year's Six Bowl, which would mean the Cyclones would potentially and probably move into that Alamo Bowl in San Antonio and not be in the Camping World Bowl. I don't know. What are your opinions on that, Mike? I, I agree with all of your logic, except I think what you two are both forgetting about is the uh, the Texas Bowl. The Texas Bowl slots in in between the Alamo Bowl and the Camping World Bowl as far as the Big 12 rankings are concerned in general. So basically, I think we're either going to the Alamo Bowl or the Texas Bowl, depending on, uh, like you were saying, Kyle, whether Texas goes to a New Year's Bowl game or not. If both Texas and Oklahoma end up going to one of those New Year's Six Bowl games, then we will probably end up in the Alamo Bowl. But if we don't, I think we will probably end up in the Texas Bowl in Houston because we'll have finished ahead of West Virginia in the standings for the Big 12, which would put us ahead of them for the uh, for the Big 12 spot, which means, I mean, they could still take... So basically they're choosing between us and West Virginia to send one of us to the Texas Bowl and one of us to the Camping World Bowl. Whoever think whoever they think is better, and because we finished with, I believe the we finished ahead of West Virginia in the standings and have the head-to-head win over West Virginia. I assume they'd pick us over them, and I think we end up in the Texas Bowl in Houston is where I think. I think Orlando is going into the game or going into the week. I thought we were either Orlando for the Camping World Bowl or uh, in Houston for the Texas Bowl. Now I think we're either going to be in the Texas Bowl or the Alamo Bowl. I don't think. The Camping World Bowl is very likely at all for us anymore. I do, I do kind of like that matchup that you were uh, pulling up there. Um, Iowa State potentially facing Auburn in that Texas Bowl. Uh, that would be an interesting game as Iowa State would be playing a former coach in Gus Malzahn uh, in that game. So that would be kind of a little bit of a... Uh, I guess I can't call it a rivalry, but it's a it's an interesting game mm-hmm. with a former coach. Yep, out and there. granted, Auburn is having a little bit of a down year as far as Auburn goes, but it would be interesting to see how a team like Iowa State could measure up in a game against a good team from what is the best conference in football. Let's be honest, and we would see we would so, see a, a matchup with a former Big Twelve quarterback as well, Jarrett Stid- Stidham, I think is how you pronounce it, is a former Big uh, Baylor quarterback back when. Art Bryles was still the coach at Baylor. He transferred to Auburn, so uh, we would see him in that game most likely. But the Cyclones would face up against a very good defense, and the Auburn defense uh, it didn't really appear that way in the in the Iron Bowl. But you know, Alabama can put up points against anybody as they've shown. So, and regardless of which um, 
Oof. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah. So either way, uh, Wyatt does have a – I think this is where Wyatt's going with this, is that he uh, does have a write-that-down prediction on the board that says we will go to a, a, a bowl game south of Memphis. Orlando, San Antonio, and Houston are all south of Memphis. So uh, Wyatt is probably going to get that write-that-down prediction right is what we're, what we're saying. There. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I was having some technical difficulties. But yeah, regardless of where we go, my, my write-that-down prediction that the Cyclones will go to a bowl game geographically south of Memphis uh, will stand correct, and I'll get a double for that. So stay tuned for the end of the episode for write-that-down predictions as well. Uh, so there was uh, was more that went on across college football this week besides just the Iowa State game. And what was uh, billed as the biggest game of the week between uh, Ohio State and Michigan. And my goodness, did Ohio State show up to play. They absolutely throttled Michigan. And that's probably the uh, closest thing to chaos we've had in the, uh, in the top 10 of these rankings all year was that Ohio State-Michigan game. I think that turns doesn't completely turn the uh, championship picture on its head, but I think it makes a big difference seeing as Michigan was in that top four and now with the loss obviously will not will not stay in that top four. So it's interesting to see currently Georgia was sitting at five, so does Georgia replace them or maybe Oklahoma coming up from six to uh, take that spot after their uh, absolute uh, shootout win 59 to 56. Over West Virginia, does uh, Oklahoma come up to take that fourth spot? UCF, Ohio State now could be back in the mix for that fourth spot going into the Big Ten Championship next week. It's really interesting. I think Alabama, Clemson, and Notre Dame are all in. But I think there's probably a handful of teams, Georgia, Georgia, Ohio State, UCF, Oklahoma, that are all competing for that uh, for that fourth spot, all because Michigan lost. If Michigan would have won that game, they would have been in great position to take that last playoff spot. But now, uh, with their second Michigan suffering their second loss of the year, Michigan is probably out of the running. So it's going to come down here to probably those four teams to see who's going to take that take that fourth spot. LSU is also in the running for that uh, that fourth spot, but. I don't know if you guys saw this, but LSU what is playing Texas A&M. What a game. Seven overtimes. Yeah. Ugh. It turned into the uh, highest scoring game in uh, FBS history. At a 74-72 to 72 outcome. Just ridiculous. A hundred and, what, 146 point, total points scored and seven overtimes. It lasted well into the night, way beyond what it should have. Yeah, I remember when I was leaving uh, Jack Troy Stadium, I was glancing at some scores. Or No, that was when I was back here, I was glancing at some scores, and I saw that that game at like 11.30 was still going on and was in four overtimes, and then it just kept going from there. It was was an insane finish to a, to a top 25 matchup there in the SEC, and that, that'll knock LSU. They already had two losses, but for some reason were still ranked number seven in the nation, but that third loss will knock LSU out of the... Uh, contention in that top four. I'm really interested to see here uh, when the rankings come out on Tuesday what the committee does with UCF and Ohio State. I think those are the two big ones that I'm intrigued to see. UCF should hop LSU for sure, but other than that, I don't know how high they could climb, and Ohio State the same. Right? They could climb a long way too with their win. They could climb into the, I don't think they'll get all the way into the top four, but they'll definitely move up into the top eight and we could see where they'd go from there. I think Ohio State will obviously make the biggest jump into the top 
I well into the top ten. I think they will they, jump. They're already ten. I know they're already ten. So they'll they, make the they biggest won't jump into the top ten. They'll, they'll make the biggest there. jump forward in the top ten, and that's better. They, I, I'm seeing them as probably being ranked as one of the first two teams out, along with either Georgia or Oklahoma. I think Georgia will slide up one spot this week. Um, so that puts Georgia at four. Georgia at four, and I believe. It would then be Oklahoma and then Ohio State in the top six. That would be your top six with Oklahoma and Ohio State being the first two out. So with a win in the Big Ten Championship, Ohio State still has an open, sh- an outside chance of making the college football playoff again since they do only have that one loss, I believe. Is that right? Yep, they have the loss to Purdue is the only loss. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a website that I uh, use a lot for my uh, for a lot of uh, projections and stuff is uh, Five Thirty Eight Sports, and they actually have Ohio State as the fourth most likely team to make the college football playoff. So I think really the committee's biggest decision is what they're going to do with the one loss Ohio State team here when the rankings come out on Tuesday. And that that is being said obviously because Alabama does have to. Uh, play Georgia so one of those teams will probably be knocked out of the college football playoff depending on the outcome of that game and my feeling is that would be Georgia that would be knocked out because Alabama looks incredible so we'll see we'll see what happens there and we'll keep you posted in our next podcast as the rankings come out again this coming Tuesday and Mike what happened uh, to your favorite team this this week in uh, college football. We already talked about my favorite team in college football. That's the Cyclones. Well, your, we, second, we your, your second favorite team. But, the team you grew up cheering. Yeah. For. So if you if you haven't found out at this point from listening to our podcast, I am also a uh, University of Minnesota fan. And on uh, Saturday, for the first time in 15 years, Minnesota knocked off their rival Wisconsin and uh, took Paul Bunyan's axe in what was a dominating performance by the uh, – Minnesota defense, who turned around after uh, giving up tons of points to Indiana and Illinois, who turned around and played really well these last three weeks of the year, and have managed to uh, beat Wisconsin, which is something that, like I said, hasn't happened in 15 years. It was just insane to see Minnesota be able to do that. That's something the last time Minnesota beat Wisconsin would have been when I was seven. So I've never, never when I've really been a sports fan, have I seen Minnesota be able to rush across and take the axe. And that was just a really cool moment to see Minnesota be able to come through and do that. It was a lot of fun, and I'm just really happy that uh, they were able to do that. I think uh, Coach Fleck definitely had a lot of skeptics, myself included, about whether he's going to be able to turn around this program or not. But to be able to uh, beat Wisconsin and pick up that sixth win, so Minnesota will be going to a bowl game now as well, to be able to do that, I think I'm still a little bit skeptical, but I think it uh, it helped silence a lot of the skeptics because no Gopher coach in a long time has been able to beat Wisconsin, especially in Camp Randall. So that was a really huge win for the Minnesota program and for for Coach PJ Flack there. I'm just really pumped about that Gopher win on Saturday. Big Twelve, if you're listening, this is a big reason to bring back the traveling trophies. Or sure. To add traveling trophies, not really bring them back, just to add them. 
it's something that the players get to play for. They get really pumped up about it, and it's something that is super exciting for the fans to get to see as well. It would have been a really, like, for example, in this Iowa State-K-State game, it would have been a really cool sight to see the Iowa State team rush over and take whatever it might be, a pitchfork, a tractor, a tractor whatever, tractor. From, the, pitchfork. from the Farmageddon series between Iowa State and K-State because that would have been the first time that they would have had it in 10 years. So, it's gotta be Big 12, Big 12. You can't carry add, around a tractor. But you're going to stab somebody with a pitchfork. Make it a dull pitchfork. But it's still like a stabby axe. It's like an axe. Minnesota Wisconsin play for an axe. Thinks that, that no one's gotten ever stabbed with the axe. You don't stab with an axe. You chop. Well, no one's gotten chopped with the axe. That's because they're not stabbing. A pitchfork would be just fine. You can't carry on a tractor. Yeah, you can. They can push the tractor across. It could be able to look like a toy tractor. <laughs> I don't think the ground crew at Iowa State would be very happy if the team pushed a giant tractor across the field. The ground crew at Iowa State is never happy, though. At Jack Troy Stadium, anyway. They get angry with me after every game. As... I, I'm cleaning up all of our, our stuff off the field, and they're, they're mad. Anyway, apologies for the interruption. As, as heated as both of these two were uh, for... For that comment and their little debate there, no one is actually upset about anything this week. It was a pretty tame week overall. So our segment for who's pissed off will not actually include anybody who's pissed off this week. But as the uh, topic of college football continues, there are more bowl game or there are more bowl eligible teams than bowl games. This year, and I believe that's happened uh, at least twice in the past five years as well. I don't know if anybody wants to fact check me on that, but there we will see some teams who will be snubbed who do have six wins, and it will be interesting to see if any Big 12 teams get snubbed as seven teams in the Big 12 are eligible for bowl games this year yep so i uh i crunched the numbers uh this morning so as of as of right now there are 81 bowl eligible teams and only 39 bowl games if you don't count the uh the uh championship game which right two team right is based on who wins those uh those first round playoff games so that means it can only be 78 teams that go to bowl games so that leaves right now three teams, plus there are three teams sitting at five and six right now who play games next week that could give them the opportunity to become bowl eligible. So there's going to be at least three teams that uh, don't get, go to a bowl game, and I'm not really sure how they decide which those teams are. There are two ways that I could think of. The first one is that they're going to do the same way that they do for sometimes when they don't have enough bowl eligible teams and they have to send below 500 teams. They use APR, or academic progress rate. So that'd be the the, fi the below 500 teams that have the best academic progress rate. So essentially whose players do the best academically are the ones that are the ones that get to go for the bowl game. So you could do the same thing with who doesn't get to go to the bowl game. The three, four, five, six, however many they need to count out schools that have the lowest academic progress rate could be the ones that get left off, uh, could get not get bowl bids. That'd be one possibility. The other possibility is the bowl games themselves, since they're the ones who, from the list of eligible teams, get to decide which ones, which teams to take. The bowl games themselves could end up deciding which teams don't make it. I don't know. I haven't seen anything official on how they're going to deal with this, 
but that is something to keep an eye on is that I would assume it'll start with the six-win teams are the ones that are going to get left off. So I don't think any Iowa State fans need to be sweating that the uh, Cyclones aren't going to be going to a bowl game besides being eligible now that we're at seven wins. But it is just something to keep an eye on that just because you got to six wins this year doesn't automatically mean you're going to make a ball game. It's going to be something to keep an eye on. Well, sure. we're, we're not pissed off about anything this week. I'm sure of that news. Whoever is bowl eligible and doesn't go to a bowl game, they're certainly going to be pissed off. Yeah, that. that's going to make some coaches and programs unhappy if they uh, end up not going to a bowl game. We should pull in a head coach for a team that doesn't make it in and have them be a guest star on our Who's Pissed Off segment. That would be fun. That I'll, would be an interesting segment. When that happens, I'll, I'll get on contact and call football coaches and see see if we can get somebody on. We'll see what we can do. No guarantees, but we can help. We'll talk to Jamie Pollard and see if he can be our liaison. Okay, sounds good. I popped my head into his suite when we were uh, walking around the stadium uh, yesterday during the the football game. I found where his suite's at. Did you say hi? No, he wasn't in there. Oh, okay. For all of our listeners, Wyatt is referring to uh, the senior roving band that happens for the last, for the uh, uh, senior show, for our last, what's supposed to be our last home game of the season. Uh, the seniors get to rove around Jack Trice and get to see and experience some of the suites that some of us may or may not have the opportunity to uh, see a football game in at Jack Trice, and we get to play for some fans as well. Uh, and some fans ended up closing the door on us, but that's a different story. <laughs> that's quite all right. Their loss, I suppose. Uh, you mentioned this was supposed to be our last home game, right? So we're playing the Drake Bulldogs next week. Can anybody explain to me why we're playing this game? Because Coach Campbell wanted to. It's as simple as that. Coach Campbell wanted a 12th game. His team wanted a 12th game. And Drake wanted to play us. I they like it's they wanted a, a chance to improve the overall record. As much as they say they don't look at it, it really goes a long way in uh, exemplifying where this program is headed and the direction that it continues to go and how the program is continuing to be on the rise. Yeah, and it'll be fun, right? It'll be Iowa State and Drake haven't played in 33 years, right? Just half an hour away from Des Moines to Ames. It'll be fun for Central Iowa to have Iowa State and Drake play a football game again, even though if it's going to be cold and wet. It'll be fun to have those two teams play each other again you know, next Saturday. That's fair. Hey, Kyle, can you give me a rundown on the, uh, the Saints game? The Thanksgiving Day Saints game where... Uh... Uh, who did you were you running the Saints quarterback in our fantasy league? Is that what you were talking about earlier? Yeah, I have. So in our we have a saxophone fantasy league, and I have Drew Brees as my quarterback, who has been absolutely phenomenal. Actually, we we did a team quarterback uh, format this year uh, in our fantasy league, and Drew Brees has been absolutely phenomenal. He's thrown, uh, I believe it was. Uh, 15 touchdowns in his last four games, which is just j- nothing short of amazing. He only has two interceptions on the season, and the Saints continue to roll. They easily handled their uh, division rivals in the Falcons. The Falcons really didn't show up to play for much of that game. Matt Ryan had costly fumbles, interceptions that ended the drive, but the Saints to me, are looking like the best team in the NFC right now. Uh, I think the Saints have more, have less weaknesses than the uh, Rams do at this point. The Rams' secondary is banged up with Aqib Tlaib out. 
um, and they're starting to lose some other players. I believe Johnson was banged up in the uh, Chiefs-Rams game on Monday night, and Marcus Peters always seems to be hurt slash doesn't want to tackle anybody, but that's a different story. But the Saints keep rolling, and I believe for right now they are the best team uh, in the NFC. And I don't, I'm not going to put this on record. I'm not going to write this down, but I do believe the Saints will probably represent the NFC in the Super Bowl. So, even though, so I agree that the uh, Rams defense isn't what we thought it was, and we saw this in the. Uh in the uh, Monday Night Football shootout between the uh, Rams and Chiefs last Monday. But I think the Rams' offense is just so good that it does, like the Rams' offense put up 54 points, 53 points, something Well, the, like the that. Rams' offense didn't put up 54 points. Well, the defense had two defensive right, scores. But I feel like that if, if the Rams can give up 51 points and still win a football game, I don't think it matters, right? I still think the Rams are the best team in the uh, – in the NFC, despite the uh, head-to-head loss against the Saints, I still think that the uh, Rams are the best team. I think that offense is just too good for um, for anything there. I think the Rams are the best team in the NFC. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that Chiefs yeah, shootout so, too? So that game was incredible. That was the first time in NFL history that a team has scored 50 <laughs> or more points and lost a football game, which is insane since the final score oh, what was it 54 to 51. I yep. believe three point margin. Um, I was I was very unhappy a lot during the game. The Chiefs were penalized uh, quite frequently, uh, especially in that first half. Just uh, tend to shooting shoot ourselves in the foot. Um, Patrick Mahomes did show his a few flaws in his game. He tried to be too much of a hero, especially late game, trying to make some deep ball throws that weren't open at all. Um, throwing into double coverage, trying to thread the needle. But as he's done in previous games, it just didn't work against a defense that is far superior to one that he has uh, faced. And it's crazy to say that a defense is far superior when they do give up 51 points uh, in a football game. But that's just the that's just the game script, and that's how that went. Aaron Donald is an absolute problem. He is a monster when he's not sacking the quarterback he's forcing fumbles and he's just causing too much pressure on the inside for any offensive line to handle and that that man is going to be one of the best defensive linemen of all time he already is but he's going to be a hall of famer uh as a defensive lineman in the nfl um the game was crazy jared goff played amazing uh it just goes to show that the quarterback the right quarterback, head coach, and system combined all together create what looked to be a flop in his first year to being a potential MVP candidate as well as a offensive player of the year candidate. Jared Goff is just playing some incredible football, and I believe he's one of the up-and-coming uh, stars in the NFL as well as Patrick Mahomes. They're going to have long, successful careers at – both of their in both of their respective um, organizations, and yeah, I don't think the Chiefs and the Rams are going anywhere in the next in the next couple of years. I think they're going to be towards the top of the NFL and be very competitive for the next few years here going forward. Yeah, I agree. It's a big advantage for them to have uh, the young quarterbacks on the rookie deals. It frees up a lot of salary cap space that they could that they can spend on the defense or in playmakers on the offensive offensive side of the ball. 
I think they're definitely going to be around for a few years to come as top teams in the league. So as we talk about warm weather destinations that the Cyclones could travel to for football, the Cyclones basketball team got to have a little taste of paradise when they went to Hawaii uh, while we were gone over break. And the Cyclones really surprised me in particular uh, over that in that uh, Maui Invitational. The Cyclones went two and one. They faced a lot of very good opponents, uh, some very respectable opponents. They kind of threw the game away. They threw away a lead, blew a lead against Arizona in that first game, but they really stepped up and came back and played well against Illinois and San Diego State. San Diego State is one that I believe will probably be a tournament team. And my my player of the tournament, I would give that to Michael Jacobson. He averaged almost 20 points a game during during those three games, and he shot 80% from the field in those three games, which is absolutely incredible. He's not Yudoka Azabuke, who's just dunking the ball or laying it up around the rim, the player, uh, the forward from Kansas, as he, in reference to him leading the uh, nation in shooting percentage last year. But Michael Jacobson is stepping back and taking 16, 18-foot jump shots, and he's got a really good, really pretty shooting stroke. And he's he's just playing really well um, for the Cyclones, and he's been a big big help while Cameron Lard is out on suspension and Lindell Wigington is out uh, for a while with his injury. Mike, what were your thoughts about those three games? Yeah, I agree. I think we uh, kicked away an opportunity against Arizona, but I think that in some ways I think it was good for us because if we would have beaten Arizona, we would have gotten to play Gonzaga and then Auburn, two top 10 teams, which would have been good for our strength of schedule come tournament time. But I think it would have been two losses without with all the players that were missing. So I think in some ways it was it was good that we lost that game. It got us two still quality opponents in Illinois and San Diego State. And we were able to show what this team was really made of. We were able to show that we're going to be a factor in the Big 12 this year. I don't think we'll be able to compete with Kansas by any means for the title. But I think we were able to show that we'd be a force. Taylor Horton Tucker looked phenomenal in all three games of the tournament. I think that he is definitely a fantastic player who's going to do big things for us this year. And I'm just really excited to see what this team could be when you add Wigington and Lard and uh, Solomon Young to this mix too. I think this team could really be, really be phenomenal when you do that. So I'm really interested to see what happens here when, uh, when January rolls around and some of the, some of the conference games start once we're fully healthy and click clicking on all cylinders to see how that, see how that would go. I think that was very good. I think there's a clear, there's KU is clearly above and beyond the rest of the Big 12, but I do think Iowa State will finish in that 2-3-4 area uh, along with Kansas State and somebody else, maybe TCU uh, since they have Fisher back this year, but it's going to be exciting to get into some Big 12 play here soon. Uh, but the other interesting thing we saw from the Maui Invitational is that well, Duke continue, Duke rolled in their first two games, but Gonzaga got the best of them in the championship game, and it was just an overall very well-played game by Gonzaga, and they got the victory, and we all thought that nobody could beat Duke, well, Gonzaga can, and for right now, we have our three front runners for 
the NCAA uh, for basketball, we have KU, Duke, and Gonzaga, which have clearly positioned them above and beyond everybody else in the top 10, as KU was able to knock off Tennessee, I believe it was either on Friday or yesterday, in the NIT preseason tip-off, or uh, NIT season tip-off, or whatever they call it, out in Brooklyn, um, in a top 10 matchup there. So there's three teams that we'll see if anybody can catch them, but for right now, they are clearly uh, out in front of the rest of the pack. Yeah, that was definitely a big game in college basketball. We'll have to see how that uh, how that plays out as the season goes. There was one big piece of uh, MLB news that uh, we wanted to, to touch on this week, and that was the James Paxton trade. The Seattle Mariners traded uh, their ace pitcher, the Canadian James Paxton, to the Yankees for Justice Sheffield, who is the uh, number 31 overall prospect in baseball a pitcher, Eric Swanson, another pitcher who is the number who would now ranks in as the number nine prospect in Seattle's farm system, and then Dom Thompson Williams, who is an outfielder ranking in at number fourteen now in Seattle's uh, in Seattle's farm rankings. So I was just wondering, Kyle, after uh, seeing what the uh, Mariners got for Paxton, who do you think won that trade? Was it the Yankees or the Mariners? I think the Mariners won the trade overall. I think they got three really good prospects that are going to help them build their system for the future because James Paxton was going to be coming up on a deal pretty soon. So they were either going to have to pay him or they were going to lose him. So they got a lot of, they got a lot of uh, return out of their deal. And for right now, it might look like the Yankees win because they got another top the rotation pitcher to try and compete with the Red Sox next year. But I think in the long run, the Mariners definitely won that deal. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm gonna take the opposite opinion. I think the Yankees definitely won that deal. I think they did it without having to give up uh, their number one overall prospect. They ended up uh, getting Paxton, and I think that uh, I think that it pushes the Yankees over the top. I think it makes the Yankees the uh, the best team in the American League. I think that uh, Paxton trade does puts them over the Red Sox now with just one more fantastic, phenomenal pitcher that they can add to the mix. So I think the Yankees won that trade. I think I got they got exactly what they needed in more depth in the starting rotation with an ace pitcher like Paxton did. Whenever an ace pitcher like that is out on the market and you have an opportunity to go get him, I think you got to go get it. And Paxton is a legit ace. He's been great here for the last couple seasons. And if you add that to the uh, the Yankees rotation, as they already got with Severino, who's young but looks like he's emerging as another ace pitcher, I think that uh, I think that the Yankees definitely won that deal. But we'll have to see. It'll be multiple years before those prospects start to before we start to get a clear lead on those prospects. That's the one thing with baseball trades is you have to wait a while to figure out who who actually turned out at the better side of a trade. So that's something we'll have to keep an eye on as next season and even two or three seasons after that start to develop to see who actually ended up winning that trade in the end. But for now, I think that the Yankees won it going out and getting such a good ace in Paxton there. So now it is time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. I know it is definitely my favorite segment, and everybody else that I've talked to about the segment says that it's their uh, favorite segment of the week, too. Do you talk to Kyle or I? What? 
Do you talk to I, all, either Kyle I, all of our listeners that he, I've talked to? He doesn't like talking to us. All of the listeners that I've talked to said that this is their favorite segment of the week. Really? Yeah, all three of the people who have given me feedback on the segment say it's their favorite one. So what's... Can we get some more feedback on that? Get some other opinions rather than the people who are just Mike's friends? Yeah, send us some feedback on our contact page at 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Also, drop us a line in the iTunes store as well. Leave us a rate, whether it's a one star or five star. Uh, So, Mike, tell me, what's the stupid rule for today in the segment of Mike's Stupid with two O's rules? Yep. So today in Mike's Awesome Rules, we're going to uh, go back to hockey like we'd been in for a while. We were in football last week, but we're going to go back to hockey for this week. We are going to talk about um, about uh, roughing the goalie. So roughing the goalie or goaltender interference in hockey. So when the goalie is either in the crease, which is that little blue painted area out in front of the goal, or if he's behind the goal, right, the goalie cannot be hit or checked in any way, right? If you do, if you uh, if you would like check the goalie or something like that. That would be a uh, two-minute minor penalty, like we talked about previously, for uh, for goaltender interference or for roughing the goalie, which is a two-minute minor penalty. Now there is a different type of goaltender interference that is a violation but not a penalty, and this results um, generally in a goal-scoring situation. So when a goal is scored, when the puck goes in the net, a team can challenge to see if the goaltender was interfered with, meaning his ability to to stop the puck to make a save um, was hampered by contact with an op- opposing skater. So you, while the goalie is in his crease, just like you can't check him, well, when he's in that crease, you cannot um, make contact with him in a way that makes him unable to make a play to save the puck. So if that, if you, if the uh, officials rule that contact made with the goalie made him unable to make a save on a yeah, puck that went in the net for a goal, they will wave off the goal and it uh, will not count. But that does not result in a two-minute penalty. That's just a violation as opposed to a penalty, as we talked about previously when we talked about high-sticking versus playing the puck with the high stick. So now you know about the two different types of goaltender interference, which is just the violation, which could wave off a goal, versus the actual penalty for making contact with the goalie. Hope you guys now are uh, better off when you uh, go out to watch hockey this season. Yeah, I yep. I have no questions actually on how, that. Everything however, actually makes sense. <laughs> how however many times I actually do go out to watch hockey this season? Should watch hockey more. We'll see. Maybe you'll force me to watch a few more hockey games here, especially when playoffs start. Then you'll want to watch some hockey. Playoff hockey isn't that like the, Play, the best? The best playoff? thing in sports is playoff hockey. That's what you always say. The best thing in sports is playoff hockey. I'm not so when you're wrong. so when the spring rolls around, do yourselves a favor and watch some playoff hockey. My favorite thing is the four. We're, we're not talking about what your favorite thing is right now. We we're just talking about hockey. We're going to move on to our accountability session right now. <laughs> the four different channels that cover NCAA uh, March Madness basketball when you can have four games on at once and you can just watch basketball all day. Best time oh, of the year. None of us wanted to hear that. We're going to move on to our accountability session now. Everybody wanted to hear that. So we had four predictions come off the board in our last week. One for me and one for Kyle and two for Wyatt. I'm so going to disagree on one of those for me. No, would no. That's we'll not going to we'll happen. Get there. We'll get there. I'm going to go and then Kyle and then you. We'll get to yours in a minute. So one prediction that came off the board for me 
was was that I had said that Minnesota football will win more games than ISU football. Right now, Minnesota is sitting at six wins with just a bowl game left, and Iowa State is sitting at seven wins. There's no way that six plus one can be greater than seven. Therefore, for my prediction, I get a... Um, the one prediction that Kyle had come off the board was he predicted that KU would beat Texas in football. This should have happened. The uh, Texas ended up winning that game 24-17, to 17, so for that, Kyle gets a... Nah. And I'm, doing, I'm doing horns down right now for all the listeners out there. I'm going to throw a flag on you. Thank you. And now Wyatt had two predictions come off the board. His first one was that K-State would not make a bowl game with Iowa State beating uh, KU or K-State. Wow. Beating K-State wow. today. We did also beat KU. Um, we did beat KU earlier in the season. That means that K-State will not make a bowl game. So for that, Wyatt gets a ding, 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 ding. Also, I was looking today. Wyatt is the only one who's gotten a prediction correct out of any of the four of us this at this point. This is sad. So this that'll hopefully change. No, eventually. doesn't Josh have sad. one? I don't think he does. You want to double check our board there, Wyatt? Does Josh has given me a nod. Let me check the board one second. Check the board. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, Josh does have one. The Packers will win today. The Packers will win today. He made that prediction during the middle of a game, I believe. Yeah, I think think he did. September 9th. September 9th. Was that the game against the Bears when they came back? Yeah, I think it was. When Aaron Rodgers was high as a kite? Yeah, I think it was. Must have missed that when I was looking at the sheet earlier today. And our last prediction that we had come off the board is it's that I'm taking of this off the board is that no. the Cyclones would average one safety per game predicted by Wyatt. The Cyclones have played 11 games. We have three safeties. It's, still it's not going to happen. Possible. We are going to give Wyatt the... No, 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 no. no. I, I disrespectfully I disagree. I, I gave you a bigger on that one just because it is absolutely preposterous we, that, that will happen. It is I left it on the board. I left impossible. it on the board for longer than I should have. It's not, not impossible. Alright, well we will move into our write that down predictions of the week. I will go ahead and kick off this segment. And my write that down prediction is that Duke men's basketball will rank in the top 10 in the AP poll for the entirety of the season, mm. but they will not win the national championship. Mm, got a little twist in there. So they're going to be a top 10 team all year, but will not win the national championship. Yep, there's two parts in there for you to debate about. Uh, I'm thinking either single or double. I, I'm thinking a double. I'm thinking a double. I'd uh... Not only because I do think Duke will win the, the national championship, right? Uh, they're definitely going to be top 10 the entire year. Right. I, don't, I don't see that, that not happening. That's easy peasy. But I, I do also see them winning, currently anyway, I see them winning the national championship. All right. I'd be willing to agree to that, I guess. But I'm not sure. We'll we'll agree for a double for that one. Okay. All I need is to get on the board, so. All right, Wyatt, what do you got for us this week? So I got the David Montgomery, uh, Iowa State's running back, will stay for the 2019 Cyclones season and not go to the NFL. Okay, so if I remember correctly, in a previous week, Kyle had a prediction that said David Montgomery and Hakeem Butler would both stay. Oh, that's And we awkward. gave him a double for that. So that means so if you say you that just David Montgomery will play, that's just a single. So we're gonna give Kyle a I, single. Oh, we're gonna give Wyatt a single. single. That's fair. The, I don't uh, know how David I forgot Montgomery that. I didn't check prediction. the board before I came up with that. Yeah, so. I was reading that and I was like, "Well, that's half of one of my predictions." I can so. change to something more outlandish if you'd like. No, we're good. You can leave. You it already if you did want. it. All right. 
my write that down prediction for this week, I'm going back to hockey because I like hockey. And that's that the Minnesota Wild will finish either first or second in their division when the uh, when the uh, season ends. So that would mean staying ahead of teams like Chicago, Winnipeg, and uh, Colorado as the season goes on. Minnesota is currently second in their division, but that involves staying ahead of some uh, really good teams and continue to uh, play well down the stretch. What do you guys think that one's going to be? That's a pretty stacked division right now with four teams having at least 28 points. Oof. Top two? Yeah, first or second. Top two, I think, is less outlandish than... If you would would say one, I would probably give you a triple, but I'm I'm going to have to give you a... I'm going to say double. The division is stacked. We can't give him a single for that prediction. There's still a lot of hockey to be le- left to be played. I, I was trying to say between a single and a double. But double. I, I go with a double. Double. I'm comfy with that. All right. That sounds good to me. And now here is Josh to uh, make his write that down prediction. This prediction was actually made <clears throat> during the game yesterday. And Josh is going to uh, give it to us now. Go for it, Josh. Uh, so my prediction was made, uh, I don't know what Mike said, in the fourth quarter. It was when we were down by 10 points. And I uh, made the prediction that we were going to win the game. Yep, he made that prediction about two plays before the uh, fumble return for a touchdown. He uh, told me to write, he was standing next to me in the stands and said that we should write that down, that the Cyclones win. So we gave him a uh, double for that, and uh, he also got that correct. So ding, 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 ding. Josh has a prediction correct as well. Well done, Josh. Um, I believe that is all we have for Write That Down predictions this week. So uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to us this week. Yeah, with the conclusion of Write That Down predictions, as is tradition, this also concludes the episode. Uh, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the 8311 cast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play Music. Leave us a rate in the iTunes store. Shoot us a message on uh, me or Kyle's Twitter. Uh, or drop us a line on our contact page. Direct message us on Instagram at 8311cast. All one word. All I one guess. phrase? All one phrase, since we have numbers in there. All one phrase. Is it a phrase? Isn't a phrase like a, a list there's, of words? There, there's no spaces in there. We'll just go with that. Yeah, no spaces in the user. No underscores, nothing like that. Cool. And uh, this week's episode of the 8311cast, we have your hosts... Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, and myself, Wyatt Tudor. Thanks again for listening to us on this beautiful day. I hope you continue to have a beautiful day at the conclusion of this episode. Thanks for listening. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Talk to you all next week.